0: Welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Gutrera Show. It's Monday, February 1st. You are going to be shocked at how many young people get their sex ed from porn. We'll talk about that and maybe how you should adjust the talk when it comes to your young person in your life. That's coming up on the podcast. But first, let's start off with the announcement that the government made on Friday concerning travel.
1: The government and Canada's main airlines have agreed to suspend service to sun destinations right away. Air Canada, WestJet, Sunwing, and Air Transat are cancelling air service to all Caribbean destinations and Mexico starting this Sunday up until April 30th. So
0: that's three months. That's going to cost the Mexican tourism industry alone $782 million in lost revenue. Uh, what we're hoping to do is stop that B one one seven variant of COVID-19, also known as the U.K. variant, from coming into Canada and becoming the dominant strain. So because uh, people were still allowed to travel, they were heading to the south. Now, um, Canada's new travel restrictions may put a nail in the coffin for airlines and tourism, according to our next guest, Robert Coconis, who is founder and managing director of aviation consulting firm air trav inc welcome to the show good to have you on robert good morning thanks for being here and and spending a bit of time here um so these new restrictions on flights from the caribbean and mexico were announced friday and you're thinking that these are going to trigger bankruptcies in the travel sector here in canada can you get a little bit more elaborate on what you think is going to happen
2: sure well you know i think without a doubt i mean the industry is already in pretty bad shape leading up until the end of the year of 2020 and then uh, December 31st, the government introduced the requirement to arrive uh, from offshore with uh, having a COVID test done without dropping the 14 day requirement for quarantine. And within literally 24 hours of that news, uh, forward bookings from all the major carriers started to drop really precipitously. Since then, we had the news, of course, last week from the Prime Minister on the requirement for travelers to both uh, quarantine at cost in the hotel upon arrival, cost of about $2,000 plus the the uh, the cessation or the temporary suspension of all southern of station flying through mm. to April the 30th. So that's really, it's tough news. And uh, really, for us to be able to swallow a grounding of all southern traffic at a time of the year when these, these flights mean a lot to the carriers, we have three peaks in the country. We have the summer peak, the holiday peak in December, and the March break peak. And to take all those flights down for, uh, for a couple of months is really going to lead to uh, some carriers just can't survive. Uh, a lot of carriers, a lot of smaller airports, travel agencies, tour operators, we're already very really close to the end of, uh, of, of holding on. And I'm afraid at this point, unless the government does step in, and that, that might be what saves us. But again, we've been talking for months about health from the federal government. Nothing has materialized yet. Unless help does uh, show up, we're definitely going to see some companies going into bankruptcy restructuring, and some of those companies may not come out the know, other side of the restructuring and fail outright. So this is really a bad, uh, a bad time.
0: Are the biggest um, airlines at risk? The ones that deal in packages to the south, like your Sunwing and your Air Transat?
2: Well, if we talk about Sunwing for just a second, I don't want to say anyone in particular because I think everybody's in in bad shape. Sunwing did not do much flying. Uh, last year, I believe that it was reported that Sunwing had hundreds of flights that were booked or were scheduled during the uh, the March break, the March period, March-April, and they've now had to cancel every single one of those flights. So you've got flight crew, you've got aircraft that you know set to go, and and that costs money to pull aircraft out of storage to get crew ready to fly. It's not cheap, and then to say, well, sir, we're going to have to refund all the money and not fly at all. That's uh, that is very very difficult. So. Uh, again, this is uh, this is bad news compounded upon a lot of other bad news. Uh, we saw thousands of job cuts last year. We saw WestJet and Air Canada uh, uh, call additional jobs after the mandatory um, uh, PCR arrival test was announced, simultaneous with not pulling back on the 14-day quarantine. I mean, we're a very uh, you know science-based industry, and we've proven that over the past year. And in uh, not reducing, for example, that quarantine simultaneous with the uh, the actual um, introduction of that test has been has been uh, very very tough. And let's also be clear that there's been very little evidence of the variants in, for example, the sun destinations in the Caribbean and in Mexico, and those variants are mm-hmm. in Canada already they're here already. So I
0: just want to point this out it, yeah. but we don't necessarily know that the variants aren't there because I mean we're even having problems here trying yeah. to test for those variants. So they could be there, they just might not be testing for them yeah, yet because you know, they have to yeah, sequence yeah, the genome, well, right?
2: Yeah, point point well taken, but the reality is those variants are already in Canada. Right. So again, you know, is this smoke stream, is this a smoke cover for a government that has mishandled the uh, the pandemic uh, terribly, has mishandled the uh uh, the vaccination file. And again, as we quite often say, this industry has accounted for 2% or less of all cases circulating in the community. Let's focus on what we really need to focus on in terms of the broad-based the broad uh, the broad-based community spread. Now we're going after an industry that's going to result in, in potentially tens of thousands of job losses.
0: Sunwing um, told Global News that it was uncategor- or categorically untrue that the uh, airline is at risk of bankruptcy, their spokeswoman said the decision to suspend flights to all sun destinations was based on ongoing collaboration with the government and the Canadian aviation industry. Yep. Could this uh, willingness signal that the federal uh, government's relief is coming? It's in the works for the airline industry? Because we haven't heard a lot of um, the spokespeople for those big airlines, right. um, you know, uh, banging the drum here, saying that this is the end. So do they possibly know something that we have yet to be told?
2: Well, I think that's not true in terms of this at the end. I mean, if you read the, uh, the, the media releases from the airlines, from their pilots associations, from unions like Unifor, uh, saying what a bad situation we are in, the fact that nobody came up specifically last week after the Prime Minister's announcement, yes, it, it does possibly indicate that talks are getting close. I, I do know for a fact that talks are ongoing. Uh, but look at it again. I'm not pointing the finger at any one uh, travel company airline uh, airport that is close to bankruptcy i'm simply saying that this degree of bad news unless we get a rescue package a financial support package in place from the government could trigger failure from some company whoever that may be
0: robert do you feel that they should have lifted the quarantine period after a person uh, gets a negative test
2: yeah, I mean, again, trying to follow the science around the world, I mean, a lot of com- a lot of countries have gone down below 14 days. I mean, to have the PCR test, and I did this back in October, I had a PCR test before it was mand- mandated as law. But to have that PCR test, uh, even to have a, a rapid test upon arrival, and then say, for example, in the province of Alberta, they've had a trial going on with the federal government in the province of Alberta, that if you arrive... You take a test, um, you have to still quarantine, and if you're, if you're positive by day five, I believe it is, you're released from quarantine, but you're compelled to take another PCR test, I believe, at day, a day seven or day 10. And I think that is fair to do that, but to keep people locked in, um, you know, 14 days is tough. And I might add as well, the, two, the, the requirement now for travelers that do travel to, uh, to go to a government-appointed hotel at a $2,000 cost Mm-hmm. That will put the nail in the coffin of other routes, whether it's Atlantic, flying Pacific, Indian subcontinent, Middle East, because a lot of those people that travel today are the visiting friends and relatives category that really are the last people that can afford any additional cost. And to tell them, right, you're going to have to do a $2,000 hotel stay mandatory, uh, people are just going to stop booking, you know, altogether. So again, you're right. I think the prime minister um, on last week he did uh, characterize one reporter's question that yes, talks are are ongoing with the airlines. Um, they're positive, so we hope that uh, that, that is a as a signal, however indirect it was, that uh, the government's close to uh, rolling out some sort of financial support package for the airline industry.
0: We've spoken about the airline industry, but let's talk about those travel agents. Uh, A lot of the storefronts already have uh, been, you know, there's no traffic. They've been closed down because of COVID-19. So those uh, smaller travel agents, do you figure this is going to finish them off? And what does this mean for customers who may be overseas right now, um, whether it's Europe? Because I know Air Transat, I think they're canceling their flights to Europe as well. Um, You know, how do you get home?
2: Yeah, it's pretty tough. I mean, we already saw a round of consolidation uh, in the airline business over the last uh, 15 years or so, with the prevalence of online booking, and, and airlines directly got more more uh, aggressive in their uh, their own booking sites. Um, and but now you've got agents that you know a lot of them relied upon the cruising business, for example. Mm. Cruises haven't gone anywhere for uh, for a year. And at least one glimmer of hope for a lot of agencies was, you know, the the sun destination uh, booking period, and now we've taken that away from them. So I think we're going to see um, further consolidation in the travel agency business. I think the ones that will survive will be uh, corporate travel management companies, specialty tour operators. You want to go to Antarctica, there's a, a few people that specialize in that. Um, but I think that the days of the a generic uh, shopping mall travel agency are all are going to be drawing to uh, a close pretty soon. We've already seen, as you pointed out, some failures. Let me also add you know, airports. The problem with our airports, the user pay. If airplanes don't land, if people aren't going through those airports, they generate zero money, very, very high cost, fixed cost operations. And I think we're going to see a couple of Canada's regional airports that are going to uh, potentially go into bankruptcy restructuring. And that's going to be a real blow for some of the more sparsely populated corners of this country that rely 100% on air transport. And uh, And I think that's the other risk we're going to see.
0: I want to thank you for uh, joining us on the show today, Robert. It's uh, it's not great news for the, the uh, travel industry, that's for sure, and for airlines. Hopefully the government does something soon to help out. Uh, people that are working. You think about all of the people that work in the travel agency, uh, travel industry rather, in Canada. That's a lot of people that are now wondering you know, we've seen our livelihood slowly being, you know, uh, whittled away month after month with this pandemic, wondering, am I even going to have a job after the pandemic uh, ends? Uh, so so- we're,
2: we're about the only major country globally that has yet to receive uh, some sort of financial support from its, uh, its federal government. And uh, we've got foreign carriers arriving on our shores who are now subsidized, taking share from our carriers. So it's, uh, it's really a bad shape right now.
0: Robert, one one uh, question before I let you go: If we lose our airlines, what would our industry, what would the you know our travel industry look like post-pandemic?
2: It's taken, for example, uh, twenty years for Western Air Canada to grow to the, where they were as of December thirty-first of twenty nineteen, becoming you know global strong carriers. You know, Air Canada was already global, but had really embarked upon a major uh, international expansion. WestJet evolving from a low-cost carrier to a fly everywhere, again full-service carrier, and, uh, and that type of investment in infrastructure uh, does not just happen; is not replaceable overnight. So, for the people to say, "Well, you know, if, if an airline fails, somebody else will just step in and uh, fill those shoes," no, it's not going to happen that earlier and we that that easily. And we rely in this country upon good connections within our country and also connections between Canada and the rest of the world, the movement of people. And services and cargo and uh, it's going to be a real blow for us. it's not going to be something that's going to be three four years to recover from this is going to be a decade plus to recover from
0: robert thank you very much i appreciate your insight on this
2: you're quite welcome now, this care. is
0: a shocking thing that i read last week and i thought oh we got to get somebody on that's in the know to talk about this because this is uh just weird according to a new u.s study they're suggesting one quarter of young adults ages 18 to 24 that's university age right Say pornography is most helpful when it comes to uh, information about sex. Porn ranked higher than sexual partners, friends, parents, media, health professionals. This is according to the researchers from Boston and Indiana universities. Uh, They studied how adolescents and young adults learn about sex by using data or data rather from the uh, 2015 National Survey of Sexual Health and Behavior. Uh, Here to talk about it is Carlisle Jansen, uh, Toronto sex therapist and coach. Carlisle, am I pronouncing your uh, first name correctly? You are. Thank you okay. for checking. All right, good. I was. I wasn't sure. I don't think I've ever seen the spelling of your name before. So, uh, welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Let's talk a little bit about this uh, study. Were you shocked about the results? No, not at all.
1: I think that um, our sex education is still uh, sorely lacking and parents don't know how to talk to kids about sex. They don't know where to find resources. And so there's still a sense of You know, um, hoping our kids aren't having sex, um, which is unrealistic, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. being afraid to bring up the topic for fear that it's going to encourage them. Whereas all of the studies show that when we talk about sex with our kids, they actually have
0: less sex. It's amazing to me because uh, I would assume that parents are well aware that a simple Google search will bring up all kinds of uh, different information, including pornography, that could lead their kids astray when it comes to like a reasonable expectation of, of sexuality.
1: For sure. And if kids are looking for um, straight up information, they're going to be bombarded by porn. They're going to find all kinds of misinformation. Um, there's going to be lots of um questions and and they're not going to always understand it. And so the easiest way to discuss sex is to have a a conversation. Um, There are also some really good books. Um, So I often give parents these two websites because I find they're by teens, for teens, and talk about all different kinds of things. One is scarlatine.com and one is sexetc.org. So give those as resources to your kids, even if You're not comfortable talking about it yourself. These are places where they can get good information, where they can learn um, uh, what, you know, so many people are worried about not being normal. Mm -hmm. And so they can learn that their desires are normal, how they want to have sex is normal, who they're attracted to, who they're not attracted to, um, how they identify, they'll be able to be put much more at ease and also have a much more realistic idea as to what sex actually can look like, um, rather than what you see in porn, what you see in a lot of movies right now also. So um, we need
0: to give those resources to kids. How concerning is it to you that, you know, I mean, you're a sex educator, that people are using porn as an education tool? Um, It's really scary. And I'm a parent of teenagers as well. So,
1: you know, this applies to me. And and I, I acknowledge that even for myself, it's scary to think of my kids having sex. But I can't, I'm also scared that they're going to get hit by a car. I can't avoid talking about safety and consent and pleasure. We need to address these topics. And so it's really, really important to Um, uh, give your kids a book to have the conversation because the thing is, is that if they don't know what they're doing, they're going to have sex to figure out what they're doing, or they're going to look to porn, which is going to show them that all women um, orgasm and get the most pleasure from intercourse, that men have erections that last for, um, you know, 30, 40, 60 minutes, um, that it's okay to just reach down and put your hand on your partner's neck when you're having intercourse rather than having a conversation mm-hmm. about it. These are things that in my practice and in my workshops, I hear over and over again people um not really understanding um how to ask questions um how to talk about safer sex how to negotiate what turns me on um they're really they're lost and and we don't have many good role models and so people look to porn for role models
0: are you shocked that uh 20 somethings People in their early 20s are looking to porn in, in, as a way to kind of inform their sexual behavior and what they think partners expect of them. I, I would assume that this is even, you know, leading to unreasonable uh, expectations and and feelings of inadequacy when you're a young man. For sure. Completely. For people of all sexes
1: and genders, it, it, it portrays a very skewed view of sex. Very one-dimensional, very um, not very interesting and not very broad. So, you know, these people are also using porn to arouse themselves. So, I think that's Mm -hmm. part of it. Is their 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 friends have told them about porn? They're using it to um, to pleasure themselves with, to get aroused with. And so, of course, if that's all you see, that's what you're going to learn from. If that's all the information that you have, that's the only piece of um, data that you have to go on as to what I'm supposed to do what I'm not supposed to do what most people do what my partner expects of me Um, but you know the other thing about this study that I found interesting was that it was primarily um, male identified um, people who who look to porn Mm -hmm. that female identified people often look to their partner
0: for information um, which I think is also very telling And that definitely could lead to women not actually having satisfying sexual encounters and possibly, you know, damaging sexual, uh, you know, experiences.
1: For sure. I mean, you get, you know, I I talk to women all the time who still think that they should orgasm during intercourse, whereas 75% of us don't. But if their partner says, yeah, all my previous lovers Mm -hmm. did, then you're thinking, oh, you know, and you say to your partner, like, what am I supposed to do? And the partner tells you and you just follow along. And of course, the partner, if the partner's male, is learning from porn. (laughs) So we're further perpetuating
0: these ideas. And, and who doesn't remember the orgasm scene in When Harry Met Sally in the diner? You know, like, you don't you don't think I get you? You've never had someone to fake an orgasm? No, I haven't. And then she starts into it. It it leads to people acting the way they think that, you know, is expected. And that's not what sex is about, right? So um, oh. you, you said when you talk to your kids about sex, that they tend to have less sex. Is that because it's unsexy to think about your parents and sex? Or <laughs> is it? Or, or does it take some of the rebellion out of it? I think it takes some of the rebellion out of it and certainly I'm not
1: I'm not advocating that we tell our kids about how we have sex. <laughs> um so I don't I don't think that it makes it unsexy to them to to talk to their their parents. I think it takes some of the taboo out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it makes it um um, easier for people to feel okay about who they are they get a broader sense hopefully as to what is pleasure is about they get some more ideas about asking for consent um, i think they um, develop self-confidence which is huge because when we're not confident we often get anxious we do things um, just to get it over with we endure we do what we're supposed to do without checking in with our partners because we're afraid that they're going to say that don't like it um so it, it it kind of becomes a snowball effect of lots of challenges that people have around sex um, that's pretty universal around um, wanting to be good at it but we right. we don't necessarily know how to find out how to be good at it
0: and, and I would want- imagine that a negative experience at a young age could lead to you know you not having very positive experiences as you you know uh, continue your life and you know in the in the bedroom I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, I I have clients who, you know, one
1: person told them that their vulva didn't look right or their penis was too small or uh, what's wrong with you didn't last long enough or how come you can't orgasm this way? It just takes one comment and it stays with you. Uh, for a long, long time, and it Mm -hmm. will impact all of your um, subsequent relationships, unless you can understand that what that person said was not necessarily fair, um, often not accurate, um, and certainly um, not helpful, and that we can uh, can learn what's actually true
0: and what actually brings pleasure if we do some research and we learn about it. Well, if a quarter of young adults are getting sex ed from porn... Do you have to include porn in the talk now? What should parents take away from this conversation? Absolutely. I
1: don't think you can talk about sex without addressing porn. I don't think that it's kind of the elephant in the room. Um, You know, the average age that kids start seeing porn is 10. Wow. So, And it can be by accident. You know, one of my kids was in class and Googled, their friend told them to Google something that was totally unrelated to sex and what came up, but was porn. So it, it happens by accident. It happens on purpose. Lots of uh, friends tell their, um, their, their friends, you know, look at this. Um, their older siblings tell them, all kinds of ways that we find it. So we have to address it, we have to talk about it. And we have to be realistic, we can't um, assume that our kids are not going to watch it. But we have to put it in perspective and hope that they can um, understand what it is and what it isn't, how it's helpful and how it's not helpful.
0: Uh, I think you've been very helpful uh, for people listening to the program today. I really appreciate your time, Carlisle. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Always appreciate your time. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you download your favorite podcast, and we'll talk to you daily. Cheers.